Hello and welcome to Relationship Talk, the podcast hosted by Teresha Young, Relationship Master Coach. Now, each episode, we bring you an inspiring guest to help you find a deeper understanding of yourself, to set yourself up for dating, relationship, self-love and self-empowerment success. So enjoy, take notes and get ready to apply all key messages you learn today. Hello, I'm Teresha Young, Relationship Master Coach, and welcome to Relationship Talk, their podcast where we have open, non-judgmental, heart-to-heart conversations about love, self-love, self-care, dating, and relationships. And for this week's episode, I am being joined by Cassandra, Dr. Cassandra Leclerc. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this topic because we are going to be honing in on communication and we know how much that is a biggie when it comes to dating and relationships. Mm -hmm. Welcome again and I'm just going to share with the audience a bit more about who you are and what you do. So Dr Cassandra Leclerc is a communication consultant, author and motivational speaker. She is an expert on communicating in relationships and improving connections. Cassandra's mission is to educate individuals on how to understand the communication patterns to enhance their personal and professional relationships. Her research and teaching focus on the intersection of communication and well-being, specifically in the areas of trauma, emotional intelligence and conflict resolution. Such great powerful areas to be actually focusing on. So, Cassandra, I would love for you to share with us all a bit more about the key highlights that led you to doing all that you do now of your life journey and career. Um, well, you know, the biggest place my career started was I've, I'm a professor and I started teaching communication. And the thing I always say is that I wanted to teach other people how to use their voice because I didn't know how to use my own. Mm. And it, interestingly, every time I hear somebody read my bio and they say she's an expert on communicating this, I think in my head, I'm an expert at helping other people communicate those uh, things. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think like I want to speak to that because I think so much of my journey and so much of the work I do and the work I do with other people surrounding communication really is that it is that we can know things and we can have ideas and we can have thoughts and needs and feelings and want to talk about them, but we don't always know how to do it and we don't always get it right. And so I've had a lot of situations in my life where I've gone through that. And so my that's why my professional and personal mission is to let's all figure it out together and hopefully learn and grow in the process. So my, you know, that's kind of why communication is such a a, a holding point for me when we talk about things. Yeah. Communication is massive because I know many people just think about the words that you use when it comes to communication, the verbalization of things, but communication is made up of so many key elements. So I'm very curious because this podcast is about dating and relationships and also the relationship that we have with ourselves too. Have you noticed any differences in the way that people communicate when they're dating as opposed to when they're in a relationship at all? Oh, for sure. You know, this is one of the things if you think about too, like dating, especially over the last few years has changed dramatically, right? You know, COVID was an interesting time for a lot of us, for all of our personal relationships, right? And so much of this too, is we're coming out of this space of isolation still and learning, relearning how to have these in-person interactions with people. 
And so I think for a lot of people, the difference in dating relationships is you're still trying to figure out, even if you're being fully authentic and Mm -hmm. wanting to share yourself with somebody else, you're still kind of doing this dance of like how much and at what time, you know, when it's too soon to tell somebody so much stuff versus, you know, I want to be myself, but I don't know how much they can handle or what have you. Whereas in a relationship, you've kind of already established that. So your base Mm -hmm. level of kind of anxiety around those things is hopefully gone if you're in a healthy relationship. Right. So I think that dating, it, it can cause you to question yourself a little bit more, even when you're a solid, competent person, because you don't necessarily know the other person's space or their reaction or, you know, their upbringing or histories or what have you. Mm, that's a really great observation there, because it's almost like you're feeling more secure and safe in a fully formed relationship as opposed to dating when there's a lack of maybe security and safety and you're trying to get to know the other person maybe walking on eggshells a little bit about how much of ourselves do we expose to the other person at an early stage so in terms of like communication then what would you say are some of the the common patterns and habits that people struggle with when it comes to relationships I think, you know, there's a lot of buzzy words that are always going around TikTok or what have you about vulnerability and authenticity and all of these things. But really what so much of our vulnerabilities are is actually communicating our authentic self to other people. Right. So that's not just your deepest, darkest secrets, but it's also your real feelings about things or being authentic. You know, if something's bothering you or, you know, setting boundaries and things like that. And, you know, all of those things kind of come together to help us communicate more easily in relationships, Um, but they're they're so difficult because it sounds easy, right? Like I'm going to say what I need, or I'm going to communicate boundaries, but the act of doing that in front of another person and the act of actually like stripping it all away and being that vulnerable to say the thing or to say the thing that you want for most of us, that's, that's a little bit um, fear or anxiety producing, And a lot of that, a lot of times that has to do with the fact that somewhere along the way, whether it be in your childhood, you know, with a romantic partner, a teacher or a friend, whatever, somewhere along the way, you probably got a message that talking about your feelings or what you had to say, or your feelings wasn't, was incorrect or was wrong, or you were too big or whatever it was. Right. And so for me, so much of this, like, you know, the difficulty or what have you in relationships and communication is because we have to undo as much as we're doing. We have to unlearn some of those things or some of our reactions or coping mechanisms or patterns when we're speaking to other people. Mm-hmm. And that requires so much self-awareness and it yeah. requires kind of sometimes digging into things that we don't maybe want to think about. Yeah. And when you were speaking there, Cassandra, and you spoke about things that happened in our childhood, maybe even at school, and some of the differences perhaps how uh a guy, for example, or when he was a little boy, opposed to a girl when she was a little girl, are told things like, for example, big boys don't cry. That's what you sometimes hear, isn't it? But how stifling is that and enabling them to communicate their needs or their emotions? Have you found that there were some key differences in the way that men, talking about in a heterosexual um, kind of relationship, or anyway, um, communicate as opposed to women? You know, it's interesting. I guess we didn't even talk about this before, but I actually right. taught gender communication at the college level for many, many years. Okay. So yes, I have answers to this. Right. So, and, you know, coupled with relationships. And so, yes, it is a problem, you know, societally and historically, you know, little boys have been taught to push away their feelings yeah. and to brush, brush some dirt on it, you know, and if they don't, they're called weak or other names, you know, assuming that 
having any connection to their feelings makes them less than, right? And so it's interesting then when we see adult men, and especially in heterosexual relationships, women will become very frustrated that, you know, they don't open up or they don't want to share their feelings or they feel like there's a lack of emotional intimacy often. And it's like, well, is there any wonder why? Yes. really have been conditioned so much of their lives to not open up that space. Right. And so this is where, again, it's so much, not only awareness of our own patterns and our own upbringings, but an understanding too, of where is somebody else at? Mm -hmm. But I want to say this along with that understanding, it's also recognizing that in adult relationships with other adults, you can understand and you can understand and you can give people passes, but it's also an adult person's responsibility to recognize where things that have bothered them, where things that have happened to them or where some of those things are colliding in their relationships, right? So it can be a lot to unpack because by the time you get to adulthood and dating and relationships, so much of these things that we have had in our upbringing, we just assume they're part of our personality or who we are, as opposed to understanding like how our environment maybe played a role in how we're communicating. Yeah. So going back then to think about how we do communicate our needs and our boundaries, is there a clear separation between needs, boundaries? Was one come before the other in terms of your experience? <laughs> You're asking me like all my favorite questions right now. Oh, great. <laughs> I love that. I know. And we didn't even play in that. I love that. Oh. So, um, yes. So here's the deal. Needs come before boundaries because our boundaries stem from our needs. However, oftentimes it's really hard for us to set boundaries because we don't know what we need or we're not sure until a boundary has been crossed. And then we're like, oh no, I don't want that. Or I don't like that. So this is where it can get kind of sticky in relationships too, because perhaps a behavior that you've allowed before or that has happened, you've been okay with. And then now all of a sudden you aren't right. So you might feel like now I can't say anything because I've already allowed this to happen. Mm. But the reality of it is like the boundaries and needs are a constant negotiation and they can change. So what we need to do, and unfortunately it's difficult for a lot of us, is really think about those things. What do we need or want in our relationships to feel seen, heard, and valued? And so, you know, what does that look like for people? Not just with our communication, but with physical intimacy, with time spent with one another. What does it look like? You know, what are your financial boundaries? What does physical touch look like to you? And it's not like you're necessarily creating a rule list, you know, that you're going to give to somebody and be like, here's all my needs, sign off on this and give them mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. You know, it's more, you know, it's not, it's not like quite like that. Um, but it's more like this, if you can identify it and then seek people out who are going to support you in those areas and understand how to talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. So often what we do is we have a need in a relationship and we expect other people to know, or we get upset with other people because like, well, they should have just done this or they should have known. It's like, well, did you tell them? Because like, mm-hmm. why should anyone else just know your feelings unless you have told them repeatedly? So it really is about this place. And unfortunately, we can't always get to our needs um, because we haven't sat to think about them, especially this, you know, kind of going back to some of the gender stuff too. A lot of times women historically are conditioned to be people pleasers and to be nurturers, accommodators. So then when you ask an adult woman what she wants, she's like, well, what do you mean? What do I want? And, you know, I'm supposed to do this for my family or I have to do this for my kids or I'm supposed to do this for my partner but really getting somebody to articulate their needs and wants to a lot of people that feel selfish or it feels like they're being needy, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I 
want to remind people that having needs doesn't make you needy. It makes you like, it makes you a person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that because I I was actually going to ask you to actually establish what the difference is between neediness and needs. Because often when people go to communicate what their needs are, they're like, oh, you're a needy person. You're being clingy. And it's just a different kind of energy. I would say that neediness really comes from maybe a little bit of a less empowered position um, when it comes to it. And it could stem from traumas it could come from an attachment style so to speak that allows you to be needy anxious in that way whereas needs is really just what is good for me it's like the self-care element there that you really are focusing on yourself and you spoke about that awareness of ourselves so how important would you say self-care is and self-love is in helping you to be able to communicate it's so important because oftentimes if we're not really nurturing and caring for that space within ourselves, we do kind of almost desperately expect other people to care for it. Mm. So the more like confident and solid I feel in myself, I still want external validation from my partner, somebody I'm dating, but I don't need it in the same way because I am like solid enough in myself, if that makes sense. Right. Mm. And then even in terms with the awareness too, you know, having that self-care and having that reflection of you know, what am I, and sometimes it's a, what am I missing in my relationships or what am I lacking? But another way to look at it too, is that what are the spaces that really do fill you up or that make you feel joy or where are the areas where, you know, if I've done these things for myself, I feel invincible. And so you think about those feelings that then you carry out into relationships. And even like what you were saying about the needs too, and being needy. Mm. Sometimes the reason we think other people are needy is because their needs are different than ours. Yes. You know, (laughs) if if I don't need you to tell me good night every night, yeah, you need that. I might think that you're needy. Like, why does she need me to tell her that every night? That's not important. But so this is where, again, in partnership and even in friendships and things like that, really understanding that a need doesn't have to be important to me. But if it's important to my partner and I'm wanting to engage with them and create a space of nurture and caring for one another, then it is my job to listen and to see, you know, what I can provide for them in those needs or for us to have a conversation if I don't feel it's feasible or whatever, right? Mm. And that can be quite, and I love that point in terms of the understanding, if I don't feel that need, then why does that other person have that need? That's a great way to look at that because I think so many people would relate to that and think, oh yes, that means that that person's being needy, but it's just that level of understanding and empathy around Mm. that person's needs and their requirements or what that might be so going back to I can't help but notice being whole is that your your book there yes that is my book would you mind sharing with us a bit more about what that book contains okay so this um called being whole healing from trauma and reclaiming my voice Mm -hmm. and so this um this book is not something I ever planned to write and most days I'm still surprised it exists So I wrote that book. I was going through a a difficult period of my life and I was journaling a lot. And what had happened is my family was in a drunk driving accident. And even though I had had a bunch of stuff happen in my life, I had always just kind of kept going, kept going, kept going. Right. But after that car accident, I I couldn't keep going anymore. And the thing I want to say to people is that accident wasn't the worst thing that's ever happened to me but it was the thing that made me stop. It was the thing that made me feel broken. And so this is where, again, sometimes you don't know what is going to be the thing, what's going to be the trigger that makes somebody have, you know, feel like they're falling apart. Right. And, 
for me, that space, um, I all of a sudden these memories and these things that I've really worked hard to push aside for most of my life, they wouldn't stay silent anymore. And so I had to go back and really reflect. And I was sexually abused when I was a child and I never, ever dealt with it. I never talked about it. I instead took all the messages from my abuser. You know, he said things like no one would ever love me and those types of things. And I, in my mind as a child was like, well, I'm just going to prove him wrong because I think, you know, in retrospect, that felt like the thing I could control. I couldn't control any of the rest of it, or I felt really unable to, but I could control how I felt about it and what I was going to do about it. And so I think that that happens to a lot of people too in in childhood or in difficult situations where you create these coping mechanisms then, and then you hang on to them. So my book is about me really recognizing all these different coping mechanisms I've had over my entire life Mm -hmm. and how they were still tied back to my abuse. And by not really allowing myself to heal from them and truly exploring them, I was keeping myself in this state of, you know, panic or frustration or emotional overwhelm or reactivity because I was walking around kind of in fight or flight constantly with my nervous system and with this unresolved trauma. Um, So that's the book was never supposed to be something that I shared. But after I read all my journals and went through and saw these themes and these patterns, that's when I kind of had this moment of you know, basically being told like this, you're going to write this book. This is, you are not the only person who feels these things. You are not the only person who doesn't talk very nice to herself. You're not the only person who seeks external validation because you have no internal self-worth. And so it really was a mission for me to just share this, to hopefully help other people have an understanding of spaces that they can heal for themselves. Um, You know, because unfortunately a lot of times, things happen to people and you need to heal from them, even if it's not something you wanted to, right? I think we can all agree on that. So for me, it's really about how can we all work to build our strongest, most resilient self in a way that is authentic to who we are so that you can be who you were always supposed to be, not who you are because of your trauma. Yeah, that's a really powerful journey really powerful journey and I'm so grateful that you have the book has come to fruition so that you are able to help people along their journey too because just talking there now I know that that's going to resonate with so many people in terms of the healing journey and that whole self-worth self-esteem self-confidence seeking external validation I'm sure it's really going to resonate with so many people there and what really piqued my interest as well is how you said that it started from journaling so We know that our self-talk is so important when it comes to the way that we communicate with ourselves (laughs) and then also with other people. Would you say that other than journaling, there are any other techniques that we can in order to start, we can use to start witnessing our our thoughts, our feelings and our emotions? Yeah, and I think that that it's so important that you're bringing that up because a lot of times we stay up in our head, right? We read things or reading is great. Like I encourage everyone, obviously, read, read. Yeah. <laughs> um, social media or find things that resonate with you. Right. But it's also what, what are those action steps? Right. Because otherwise we stay up in our head thinking about it. So some of those action steps are to really help you release some of those emotions or process some of those things. Right. Yeah. So journaling, and I want to hit this before anyone, um, you know, most people will say like, well, I don't want to journal. I don't like yeah. to write stuff down. And so I want to remind people mm-hmm. that you can journal by taking a note in your phone You can journal on an audio app, like just by talking to yourself. So kind of remove some of the barriers of what journaling is, I guess, first of all. 
right? But then some of the other things that I think are really important are to, again, I like to think about it as you're building a toolbox to help you get through any difficult times. Because for me, that's how we build resilience. You aren't resilient because you've gone through something. You know, you're resilient because you are understanding how moving through those things changed you or was difficult and then understanding how you can grow from them and move forward without having them completely, you know, take away your personhood. So this is where, again, I like to have people kind of make a list of all the different ways you can like nurture yourself. Mm -hmm. So how can you nurture yourself physically? You know, for some people, this might be exercise. For some people, it might be dance. Other people, it might be, you know, breathing or meditation or things like that, right? How can you nurture yourself creatively? Maybe you don't write, but maybe you play music or maybe you paint or maybe, you know, so again, how can you nurture yourself intellectually? You know, maybe you like doing the crossword puzzle or you like reading. So really looking at yourself um, as a whole person. And that was kind of why my book is called Being Whole, because I felt like I was halfway healing all these things and I just wanted to be whole. So really understanding, like, what does that take? What are the areas where maybe I've forgotten about? When's the last time I was playful and laughed Mm -hmm. and just silly? And so really, you know, it's kind of reconnecting with all of these different areas instead of just choosing the one that you always go to, you know, what are some other ways? And the beauty of that then is then the next time you're stressed or a hard time happens, you can remember, okay, but I have all of these different things. And it's also important because it can't just be like, oh, I go talk to my friend. Because what if your friend's busy, you know, like, (laughs) so this is where again, I I like to tell people like, it's not like, oh, I have to do all these things. Think of them as like, this is really empowering. The longer your list, the more in control you kind of feel too, right? Like I can do these things that are going to make me feel better. Or no, this is the friend I call when I'm sad because they're going to make me laugh or whatever it is. Yeah. And that's, I love that part too. When you said there, it's almost like knowing what your go-to is. So identifying when I do this, I feel this way. So when you start to get really specific about that, it can be like, oh, today I'm feeling a little bit low energy. However, I know that typically when I do this, my energy and my vibes change. So that's really powerful. And I love that you create a list of things to do. So it opens up the choice for doing those activities. Something that was jumping out to me, because I know a lot of the audience here are women, is playfulness, creativity. That's really putting you into your feminine energy, isn't it? Yeah. And we shut that down so often though, too, you know, and in part because we're nurturing other people mm. or we're, we're, we're doing it in different ways. Right. So yeah. really reconnecting. Yeah. With when's the last time you were just silly or just laughed or, or created something or made something, not because it needed to be good, but yeah. just for the sake of doing it. And so sometimes um, one of the things like when my daughter's home, her and I will go paint pottery And she is very artistic. So she usually plans like a a design and she's got it all figured out. I go in there and I'm like, okay, (laughs) never know what's going to happen until the end. (laughs) Yeah. And, and it's kind of, you know, just allowing yourself, like, especially in spaces where you maybe try to have control over it. Like what happens if you just let go of some of that too, choosing the activity, but within that space, you know, allowing yourself some flexibility in that too. What could that look like for you? Yeah, that flexibility is so important too because we are in a in a world where things can feel quite rigid, quite structured. We can have routines, but no, to have a little bit of flexibility within those rigidities is important too. I think when it comes to our overall well being. So 
we spoke about boundaries and that is another buzzword you hear boundaries 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 and for those people who are just thinking but what is a boundary is a boundary different to a barrier so what would be your definition of what the difference is between the two oh that's such a great question so i like to describe boundaries as your yes and your no and this is why they are different for everybody because my yes isn't going to be the same as yours right so and this is why we also have to articulate them to people because we do have different yeses and nos for different Mm -hmm. things right so a boundary is thinking about you know the ways that you want to be treated and the ways that you want to be seen heard and valued and respected in relationships and so you're communicating them to help show other people how to show up for you basically right that's the kind of how i like to describe it so this is where again boundaries aren't bitchy they're not selfish they are you really trying to show others show somebody else like this is who i am and this is you know what i'm willing to accept or can't accept in my life right so a barrier is more like a wall, right? So a boundary is different than a wall. A boundary is not where you're, you know, pushing somebody off or closing them off, you mm-hmm. know, unless that happens to be the boundary is I'm ending this relationship or I'm ending communication with you, right? Yeah. So uh, a boundary is more likely to be, you know, you're communicating, this is where I need in this, or this is what I want, as opposed to completely shutting somebody down or shutting somebody out or closing off something completely. And that's not to say that sometimes our boundaries don't feel like walls, because maybe you have a boundary that says, I will not talk about this topic with you. So to mm-hmm. somebody else that can feel like a wall, right? Yeah. But it's really understanding also, if you're putting up those walls, why are they there? And for a lot of people, they put them up because it's a sense of discomfort inside and taking them down would require those really big acts of vulnerability, right? Of looking at, okay, why am I upset right now? Or why does this bother me? Or what is it about this situation that makes me so uncomfortable that I can't dig into it? And it's interesting because different people have different walls that can come up. For some people, it's about talking about emotions and then they put up a wall. You know, for other people, it might be with physical intimacy to put up a wall. And Mm. so, again, you know, thinking more of boundaries as boundaries are also flexible and they can change over time. Right. They don't always have to be these rigid drawn lines that, you know, you can never cross. And more likely boundaries are something that will change as you develop your own self-awareness and, and, and think about different stages of your life too, the different boundaries that you have at different times in your life. I, you know, when you have little kids, you're having different boundaries on your time yeah. when you, you know, thinking about just the different stages of life that could require you to need more space for yourself or more of a definitive statement about what you will and will not accept. Yeah. And it feels like sometimes we assert our boundaries, and I love the way how you define that in those two different aspects. And it feels like sometimes we assert our boundaries when there's time of conflict, for example. That seems to be, um, this is my boundary, it's my no-go, this, we're not going to go there. So, of course, now, if we can assert our boundaries before conflict, that would be absolutely great. Now, you can have a healthy conversation with your partner, there's a nice relaxed conversation about it but typically I think a lot of our boundary talking is going to come up in conflict so in terms of conflict resolutions I know that's another area that you specialize in what would you say are some of the key tips in order to help us to manage conflict 
So the first thing is, is like, check your nervous system. I mean, this is, we are so not good at recognizing our mind and body connection, you know, and so often the words that are coming out of our mouth are a direct result of what we're feeling inside, like internally that we're not even aware of. So remembering to really breathe, like take, cause you'd be surprised we get talking and we get upset and we are forgetting to breathe. Right. Yeah. So even remembering to take a pause and taking some deep breaths and diffusing that mm-hmm. a little bit is so helpful. Right. And the other thing, like even what you said about, you know, we want to set boundaries and conflict. And that goes back to what I said earlier too, about we often don't know our boundaries till they're crossed. So it yeah. makes sense like in conflict then when we're like, Oh no, I will not accept this anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it, it's actually, if, if you can, you know, diffuse it a little bit in that moment, it's really a lot more beneficial and helpful to both parties. If you can, after the conflict, go back and say, okay, this is what I think I need going forward because here is what upset me. Here is what I, you know, so maybe you don't resolve the conflict. Maybe it gets yeah. ugly, got to come back later and you're like, feel like you got to apologize or whatever. That's okay. That's when you can have a reparative conversation yeah. of, okay, this is what was really upsetting me in that instant. Here's what I think it is related to. And here is what I think could help me. Yeah. So, and, and again, if you hear how I said it, here is what could help me. I feel this way. So instead mm-hmm. of approaching somebody and like, you really made me mad. And here's <laughs> you, you, you're uh, finger pointing. You, you, you. Yeah. So I statements in conflict are huge. Remembering to calm your nervous system. And then again, that action step, but well, that's what comfort conflict resolution, you know, it's what is the action step? How are we going to work so that this doesn't become a cyclical pattern of conflict? How are we going to work so that every time we have an argument, it doesn't turn into this way, or, you know, it doesn't fall into these cycles or patterns or what have you. And so, um, you know, there are also a lot of times it can help to have an agreement between relational partners, because say, you know, you brought up attachment styles earlier, and I know you had an Gaston, who talked about those recently. Mm -hmm. So when you think about attachment styles too, if you're an avoidant person in a conflict, it might feel really uncomfortable to you to keep talking. And your instinct might be to shut down or give the silent treatment or to dip out or to not respond to those texts or whatever. Right. Yeah. But if your partner is anxious, that is going to feel awful to them because they are going to be like, why aren't we talking? I need to know what's happening. And but to the avoidant person, that anxious person feels like too much and they just want to push them away, you know, speaking of those walls, right? So what can be helpful if you're in a partnership or any kind of relationship where you don't have that same style is just basically set some ground rules. Okay, if the conflict gets too heated or either one of you feel too overwhelmed, what are the rules then? You know, do you, where does the break look like? Because if the avoidant person is just like, I'm done talking about this yeah, and then just leaves, the avoidant person is th- going to sit there and self-torture and wonder when they're going to, or maybe send text after text after text, yeah. you know, wondering when we're going to talk again. And so it's really like a, have a set time or give each other that space. So it can calm the fears of the anxious person, but it can give the avoidant person more space to really think about what they need in that time too. So again, some, so much of the conflict resolution can co- has to come when we're not in conflict, Right talking about how we're going to handle it or after the fact of like, okay, that's where this went sideways. So how yeah. do we vent that in the future? The debrief. Yeah, <laughs> really, right? The debrief. The debrief. <laughs> it's really powerful because that's where you get the learnings and the lessons from, isn't it, Cassandra? So yeah. just when you were talking as well, we have to identify, it's not necessarily the absence of conflict that is going to make a relationship successful. It's the way that we manage the conflict. Because 
it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it might not even be something that was triggered in relationship. You just might have had a stressful day at work, a stressful mm-hmm. day with the kids, whatever it might be. And then suddenly, as you said, we're all up in our in our feelings, our, our body, <laughs> we're not breathing, we're just feeling. So it's just the way that we manage it. And that debrief and the discussions beforehand as well is so important. And I just love the way that you broke that down. And also the importance of the I statement as well. The importance of, you know, I feel, you know, I've noticed, you know, I think. And that willingness to have a discussion with that person, to open up conversation, which is, and listen, deep listening. <laughs> so, yeah. actually, you know, deep listening, that, that's a huge part of communication, isn't it? And we haven't even spoken about that. Absolutely. No, and active listening, you know, listening and communication are both hard because we've been doing them our whole lives, but we've never really actually been taught how to do them either. Right. So this is, it's natural that we develop different patterns and preferences and things like that. And so the act of listening, that's really how you can make somebody feel really seen and heard too. You know, think about times when you've been in a difficult situation and you just felt really held or you felt like somebody understood you. Chances are is that they were displaying um, nonverbal immediacy, which is things like nodding and leading in. And, you know, really, even as we're doing it on Zoom, you know, right now, we are having a nonverbally immediate conversation because we're being responsive to one another and having eye contact. Those things go a long way. And we're so distracted now that we fail to realize that we're we're not giving that to people. You know, I, I might be talking to you, but then I'm checking my watch to make see if I got a text or my phone pings over here. And so really being actively present and engaged in the conversation is is huge, right? And so especially in conflict, you know, asking clarification. If somebody says something, you know, okay, well, what do you mean by that? Or, okay, I hear that you're upset, but I'm not sure what I can do to improve upon that. Or I'm not sure what you're asking me to do. You know, so that's part of active listening too, is really trying. The thing I like to say too, is instead of trying to think about what you're going to say next, focus on, you know, keep your focus on curiosity. I'm curious about what the other person has to say, instead of thinking like, oh, I know what they're going to say. And here's what I'm going to say back. And then I'm going to do this. You know, we, (laughs) yeah create this whole storyline that sometimes we have to step out of and understand too, like part of listening is having that empathy and having that understanding that this is that other person's experience that they are telling me. And it doesn't have to directly mirror my experience, but if I love and care about this person, I'm going to listen to what they have to say. And, you know, and, and it sounds so easy, right? Of course I'm going to listen. But again, with our own distractions, be it, you know, external things or mental distractions, it really is an act of mindfulness to dig in and be present in that moment with somebody else. And mm-hmm. this is why it's so important, like really to ask somebody some too, if they have space to listen to you, you know, if you do need to talk about something big rather than just like walking in on somebody when they're in the middle of something else and saying like, well, we have to talk and like yes. drop in a bombshell, that's not really fair. You know, yeah. you're not really giving somebody else the space to see if they had, you were ready because you thought about it and you started it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, but were they, or did that feel to them like a bombshell? And if it felt like a bombshell, then that's where their nervous system is already jacking way up too. Right. Recognizing like, what is the environment that you're creating? And some of that is like, are we both in a space to listen? So I, I do have like even little, like basically rules for myself about it. Like, I don't like to talk about money before I go to bed because then all I'm thinking about is like money or bills before I go to bed and I I don't well or whatever it is. 
but I have to know that about myself. Right. Mm -hmm. So even again, back, this all stems back to the self-awareness and how are you talking about and understanding yourself? Because it's not fair for me to get mad at my partner. If he brings up money before we go to bed, if I've never told him that I don't want him to. Right? Yeah, that whole mind reading thing. That right, sometimes right. <laughs> I just absolutely love what you share there. And there's so many components when it comes to communicating. As you said there, the timing of it is important. Choose the timing. Have a look at that person's energy as well. Your energy when it comes to the conversation. Those things are crucial. The environment, sometimes, you know, choose our turf. Is it a better place to have a conversation outside of the home that could be or can we just have it maybe in a different place so that it just feels a little bit different the timing and the environment the energy and sometimes even planning those words what we're going to say in advance can be really helpful for us to be able to articulate ourselves and express ourselves fully so all of those things are so so important like what you said there and that self-evaluation knowing when is a good time even for me to think about things <laughs> yeah because yeah, that's what can happen too you know that's where if we don't notice how all these little different things throughout the day, you know, say you're at work and then there's a couple of things that happen and then traffic's annoying on your way home or whatever. And so you get home and maybe your partner has done one little thing that maybe really isn't a big deal, but it's because of all those other things that you're yeah. going to nit nitpick this thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's really normal. And we do those things. Right. So it's just kind of like, you know, checking yourself a little bit too, of being like, okay, what am I bringing into this situation and how much of it is really about this moment? And this is where sometimes too, the reason it can feel like it comes out of nowhere is because maybe you really have been annoyed about that thing for a while, but you just weren't going to, you didn't have the, you weren't ready to say it yet. Right. And so yeah. then when we're lamped up, we're like, oh, now I'm ready to say it. But then when you say it in that way, it comes out so much differently too. <laughs> it does. It does. And when you were saying about that whole buildup of things, I was thinking that could be quite recent buildup of things. But then also because you specialize in trauma too, sometimes what we are upset about now isn't necessarily what we think we are upset about. It's something more legacy. So often. And that that's why this, you know, whole self-awareness piece is so huge too, because the way our past informs our present, it's so deep. And often again, because we, you know, it's just been our life and we think that these are our personality characteristics or just how things are, we don't see the ways that other things are creeping in. Right. You know, so even what does that look like? Well, one of the reasons I don't like to talk about finances before bad, even mm -hmm. when I'm not worried about them is because growing up, finances were a very scary thing for me to think about in my family. It's also stems to some of my abuse issues. Yeah. I know that that's why, you know? So it's again on me to recognize that that's what's up instead of making my partner feel bad for wanting to talk about something that they don't have those same triggers or issues about, yeah. you know? So really even understanding, okay, where are some of the spaces and again, sometimes, especially in romantic relationships, the reason these things from childhood will come out more is because you are creating this deep, intimate connection with somebody. And so all those fears from childhood that maybe maybe they're abandonment fears, maybe it's conflict you had, maybe whatever it is, that those are those wounding, right? And this mm -hmm. is a person who you're becoming so deeply intimate with that they might see those wounds or they might, you know, and they might hurt you more, or maybe they could heal them, but it's like that space of not knowing, right? Yeah. So sometimes you won't know going into it. Oh, this is what that was. But yeah. that's where awareness can still help you after the fact, right? It's like, okay, what was that about? Yeah. 
yeah. what, what I did really overreact in that situation. Mm-hmm. What was that about? And mm-hmm. really trying to understand and then going back to the person and being like, Hey, yo, that absolutely wasn't just mm-hmm. about this situation in yeah. taking some ownership and accountability to again, back to kind of the repair situation, right. Yeah. Of understanding, oh, okay, this is how I was showing up. And it, it doesn't feel fun to have to do that. But I think too, again, the way I'm trying to look at this and the way I try to frame it for people is think about how powerful it can feel instead yeah. of focusing on like, oh, I had that meltdown or, oh, that was my trigger. Why did I do that? Be like, oh, okay, now I understand it so that the next time it comes up, because they're still going to come up again. You're never going to erase every trigger from your life, right? The next time it comes up, maybe it won't hurt as bad, or maybe I still will spiral, but not quite as quick. You know, I won't, I'll get back up more quickly or whatever it is. Right. And the thing is, is this is where so often we learn these things in partnership with other people mm. because I might be fine because nobody's questioning me or, or I'm not in conflict when I'm just by myself or hanging out with my friends. Right. So in our partnerships, in our dating relationships, in our romantic relationships, that's where we kind of learn about these things. So this mm. is why navigating these things and dating and having relationships can teach you so much about yourself, too. That is a lovely segue into <laughs> a question I would love to know more about if you're open to speaking about it. And that is actually some of your own you know, personal experiences when it comes to a romance, for example, and some of the key learnings that you've learned um, from those situations too. So some key what? I'm sorry. Some key learnings that you from, had from your romantic experiences. You know, I think the biggest thing for me is recognising how much I, my people pleasing and my accommodating and my, my lack of understanding of my own needs did play a role in so many of my relationships. A lot of times I, I think, you know, I kind of shut down those pieces of myself in childhood where I was going to have any needs or was going to, you know, have any preferences or anything like that. So much so now that I don't always think I have them. And so I would get in relationships where I would just go, go with the flow and go along with it happily. Like nobody was forcing me to do it. Right. I was the one who would be like, yeah, I don't care. Or that sounds great. Nope. Fine. Whatever you want. And to a point. And then I would get to this point where I'd be angry and frustrated because I'd be like, well, we never do what I want to do, or we never go do this. And it's like, oh, okay. But it's because I am not actually stating and articulating what those things are. And do I even know? <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, most of what I teach and most of what I talk about and everything we've discussed so far, you know, that's what I was saying earlier when I said I, I feel like being an expert at helping other people, but then also taking it and having a real reflection about, okay, but how is this showing up in my own life? What are the situations and lessons I need to learn? Yeah. And like one for me too, a huge one is that overwhelm of the nervous system. You know, when I have been in fight or flight for so long, when little things would come at me, my emotional reactivity or inside, I just feel like heightened, so heightened, right? Yeah. And not really understanding how to diffuse that, not understanding where it came from, as opposed to focusing on the thing in front of me or the relationship in front of me. Yeah. And that's something that I've learned about myself too, is breath work I have to say and it's not just in conflict situations this is just generally in life because I'm a shallow breather I know that so <laughs> I have to I just I am up my shoulders are up like on Fester most of the time I need to drop them down 
But it's a case of, yeah, I have recognised that natural fact. When I'm connected with my breath, that deep breath work is so powerful for me. And if I can do that consistently and regularly, it really just benefits my relationships in so many ways. So just getting into a good routine and habit of breathing and being connected to our nervous system, knowing what's working is super, super important. And when you were speaking before too, when you spoke about just you know, some of the things that will show up for us and we're not even quite sure where they have stemmed from. And some of them is probably some trauma, some trauma that has been experienced at some point in somebody's life. Would you say there's some benefit behind speaking to a therapist as well about that type of stuff? Oh, yeah. You know, and that's the thing. Like, I don't I don't want to give anybody the impression that, oh, my gosh, I have to go back and relive everything that's ever happened to me so I can understand what's going on now. You know, it's not that at all. You you can also recognize, all right, this might be about something else. Yeah. And maybe you're not ready. To, maybe you're not ready to learn what the something <laughs> else is. But you can be like, OK, this isn't re- just about right now. And, you know, the thing, things come up to heal, but you, you're going to look at them when you're ready to heal them too. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this is also where, you know, if you start to pay attention to things as they bother you, but having support of whatever kind that looks like to you, whether it be a therapist, a psychiatrist, a coach, you know, um, finding, you know, those, again, those tools are so important because again, it's wonderful to talk to supportive friends and family members, but they can't always give us a third party opinion or be neutral about things when we need them to be also right. Yeah. And so having somebody who you can, who can really just hold your feelings sometimes is a really big thing, right? Even if you don't know what you want to do with them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think the thing that's difficult about that for a lot of people is unfortunately, you know, access to mental health care isn't always easy. It's not always easy. It's not always available, be it financial concerns or, you know, geographic limitations or what have you. And so this is where I'm really grateful for like shows like yours and, uh, you know, people who you can follow on social media or finding things that will help you feel understood or that will help you through those spaces in the event that you can't get external help. And if that's what you're seeking. Yeah, that's such really good guidance there. There is because there is so many different resources out there and you will feel ready. You will feel when the time is right to explore that for you personally too. So there's so much resources out there to be able to explore that. And quite often when I'm speaking with my clients as well, the communication struggles that they have in their current relationship has stemmed from something that is legacy. It's not something that has built up because of their partner necessarily. It's something that either happened at school. It's something that's happening at work for them. So there is other components as to why they don't feel able to express themselves fully and to speak up so there's work to be done and quite often when I'm speaking to my clients and they just a bit they're a bit mad with their partner or something like that and I say to them who does your partner remind you of Mm -hmm. and they sit back and they go you know my dad or it was an ex or even my mom somebody else and their behaviors and their mannerisms is just hugely activating them in that moment so sometimes even if you just ask yourself who does that person's behavior remind me of yeah and just sit with that just sit with that and then that might just open up the doors of awareness as to okay now i know what can i do if i choose to do something about that now because there's so much out there isn't it there's so much buzzwords out there too cassandra gaslighting for example 
that's a huge one when it comes to manipulation tactics and your your reality being bended in so many different ways or forms. So it's just really just getting to know yourself more. And you've shared so much about that, which I'm so, so happy for the audience to hear. Now, this podcast is about love as well. As you can tell, we're talking about love. So I always love to ask my guests what their personal definition of love is in the romantic context. What does that mean to you? Connection. Mm. I think, you know, connection with another person, you know, in terms of on all these levels that we're talking about, right? You know, if you're looking at partnership and love and romantic love, it's the connection that you can have with somebody across different contexts, you know, maybe we have an emotional connection, we can have a physical connection, we can have all these different ways that we are connected to one another, right? And so to me, that's what I think about when I think about love is like, who, who not only do you want to establish a connection with, but what connections are you willing to nurture? What are the ones that you're going to put time and effort in because you want them to grow and you love them to be established versus what connections are no longer serving you or no longer feel right to you. So I like to think about it in terms of connection, because I think, you know, the, the ways that we come at relationships are going to change based on our own awareness, our personal histories or wherever, even where we're at in our lives. Right. So it's really, again, getting back to that kind of goes back to our needs too, is like, so what makes me feel connected to somebody, right? What makes me feel that, and then being able to establish that with another person. Mm, that word connection, I think that will definitely resonate with so many people. Um, connection is a huge part of you know what I do when it comes to my coaching too. And that's the connection with oneself and also the connection with another person. And so much of what we've been speaking about. And if you are following my podcast, you will hear that self-love, self-care is just the foundation of our relationship with other people, the relationship we have of ourselves really does impact on the relationships that we have with other people. So getting to know ourselves, getting to witness ourselves, honour ourselves too, and just send love to ourselves on a daily basis is so, so important. Like communicating with ourselves. And we spoke about journaling. We've spoken about the body work that we can do. I'm a firm believer in affirmations. I'm not quite sure about you, um, Cassandra, too, but I do believe in the power of daily affirmations to ourselves in order to communicate well. Would you say the same? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we know is that your brain believes whatever you tell it the most. Mm -hmm. So start telling it some good things, right? You know, start by saying those positive things or when you have the negative thoughts come in, reframe them and shift the narrative a little bit, right? So those affirmations, those, you know, even looking in the mirror and saying them too sometimes, or, you know, really drawing that power back to yourself. I think that that's so important, not only for your self-love and self-care and healing, but that's, you know, when we have that connection with ourselves, like you're saying, we can then extend that connection to other people. Yeah. In a in a way that's easier too, right? Then it doesn't feel like such a burden because I've already filled myself up. And now here's what I can give to you as a result of me feeling strong and solid within myself. Mm. So beautifully articulated there. And when you said mirror work too, that can be quite daunting for some people in itself because oh, for sure. look at yourself. And look into your eyes. How often do we actually just look at ourselves in the mirror? We will flap around the mirror. We'll brush our teeth, get clothes on. But actually to actually sit and look into our eyes and gaze into our eyes in the mirror. So many people don't do that. So many people don't do that. Yeah. Work. 
And it's difficult. I did an assignment with some students one time where I had them just look in the mirror and say, I love you. And they had to do that every day for seven days. And then they had to write about how it felt, you know, so how it felt on day one and like, did their feelings change about it? Basically, did it become easy? And it's interesting because it it doesn't, you know, you think, oh, okay, whatever, but you go to do it and it feels strange. So I encourage everyone to try it. Um, it, But it really is a okay, I don't look at myself and say those words. And it's amazing how the emotions that that can stir up when you're really, like you said, even just staring at yourself in the mirror or telling yourself things that you need to hear. Maybe it's something that, you know, you have wanted to hear from somebody else for so long, but what happens if you said it to yourself, you know, like truly looked at yourself and said it to yourself. And it's, it's, again, it's another act. I think of that radical vulnerability of like, okay, yeah. not only- break down everything for everybody else, but I'm going to break down my own wall and I'm going to look at myself. Yeah, that's so powerful. When you use the words emotion then, I thought that whole emotional intelligence piece starts with ourselves, doesn't it? It, it? it does really start with us really starting to connect with our emotions and being able to even label them quite specifically because we can have these high level emotions or I'm mad and you might use I'm mad all of the time are you mad? What is it? Is it something else? And like, is there another way that which you can describe that emotion too? And then you can start to notice patterns. So I love that exercise that you did both um, those students there. It sounds so, so powerful in terms of how they felt afterwards and doing it consistently. So, yeah. so important. Build it into a daily ritual routine. I do it myself. And then each morning I say my affirmations and yes, I look in the mirror and yes, I'm in my birthday suits when I do it. However, <laughs> I embrace all of myself in the mirror and I look into my eyes. So it's the case. And I do say to myself, and I affirm it to myself. And even I have a six-year-old daughter and we do affirmations too from such a young age because it's something that I would love to instill in her. And my daughter, yeah, she's currently pre-verbal, but I know that she is taking it all in and she's listening to it all in an energetic way. And it's just really important, I think, for us to really pour into ourselves pour into our own cups and then what we give to others comes from the overflow that's Mm -hmm. what I how I see it absolutely absolutely and I think too I'm so glad that this conversation is expanded because you know we're no longer thinking of self-care as just like oh we got our nails done or we did that like those are wonderful acts of giving back to ourselves as well but what does it really look like if you can nurture yourself emotionally and if you can help yourself feel that confidence and that, and that self-love that you've probably been wanting from other places your whole life. Right. And so I think that it's so powerful and I'm really glad to hear that you do that with your daughter too, because I think that that's what is a problem for most of us is that we are learning to do this in adulthood. Right. So then it does feel hard because it wasn't part of our patterns. It wasn't something we had ever thought about. And so it is like, again, unlearning some of that resistance to it or unlearning some of the shame we have and releasing some of those things. And so that's where the consistency of it, like you said, the powerful practice is to do it routinely so that then it does just become part of you. And all of a sudden, then that's just, you know, who I am. That's just what I know to do. I wake up every morning and I look in my mirror and I say, I love you to myself and I'm whatever it is. Right. And you, you know, even you saying you do it in your birthday suit, like that's so important. Like, you know, especially for women being able to look at your body in the mirror and tell yourself that you appreciate your body. Okay. And I said, appreciate, because I'm not expecting that everybody's going to say they love their body, 
because, you know, there are a lot of issues that we can all have for a variety of reasons, but can you get to a place where you can appreciate your body for what it has done for you or for how it has gotten you this far or what have you. And that's a really difficult space too. And so just really understanding too, like sometimes the reasons we don't do the self care is because of that wounding or something that we do need to look at or heal a little bit more. Right. So, you know, it's all such a process that's intertwined, you know, it really is. Yeah. And the thing is just to get started, started in some way shape or form it's a journey it's not a destination it really is a learning and to see if you can bring enjoyment behind that learning at the same time it really makes the journey so much more fun and um it will resonate so much more if we can just bring some enjoyment along the way too and celebrate ourselves each time you do something you know and even if it's today I was able to do an affirmation and I've done that the next day consistently go me you know really start to witness ourselves and celebrate ourselves Yeah, absolutely. And that's just say, you know, instead of just celebrating these big milestones, you know, I bet most people have something little that they can celebrate in their everyday life. And so bringing that amount of joy to yourself or or allowing yourself to, again, it's kind of like feeling that childlike wonder. Yeah. Like where can you find that for yourself? Where can you tap into that a little bit, whether it's because the sun was shining brightly today or because, you know, or whatever it is. Right. And it's amazing how just those little shifts like that, then you do that for a little while, then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah. And what about over here? And they kind of have a ripple effect, right. Too. So it's like, you don't have to do all of this at once. You know, in fact, you shouldn't because then you are going to feel overwhelmed and it's going to feel like, oh my gosh, I have to do this and I have to do that. And it's not fun. So it's like, what is the thing? What is the one tiny little thing that you could do where it's just adding a little spark of joy to your day and then see, you know, cause again, it's, it's kind of like the whole, once you, somebody gives you a compliment you feel good, then you're probably mm-hmm. more like give the next person a compliment. Yeah. You know, that, right. It's like that building effect and using that to fuel yourself because we do that with bad days. If we are having a bad day, we're like, well, this happened. And then this happened. And that's, oh, why, yes. that's why I'm crap. <laughs> So it's like, well, why don't you do like, well, this happened and this happened and that's why I'm happy. Like we don't do that. Right. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying is like, why don't we start doing that too? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's make it, make it a commitment. You know, we can all commit, you know, to make sure that we are looking for even that one good thing in that day. And it's probably a nice exercise even to do just before you go to bed, just to say, you know, what is at least one great thing or one beautiful thing that happened today? And how does that make me feel? And really tap into that feeling there as well. And be intentional. What would I like to experience today? What joy would I like to bring when you wake up in the morning? Who do I I want to be today? Rather than what do I want to do? Because there's so so much things to do. But it's who who do I want to be today? Mm -hmm. And that can be a lovely, powerful way to start the day too. Absolutely. No, I think just, you know, again, like, and we feel such a loss of control and such a sense of uncertainty with a lot that's going on in the world so often. Mm. So these are things that you are actually in control of, you know? And so that's what, again, I I think like allowing yourself to feel powerful surrounding it Mm. instead of like, Oh, I'm weak and I have to heal something. It's no, I am so powerful that I can transform my mindset that I can take this bad day. And instead look at the 87 good things that also happened today or whatever. Right. 
Yeah. Oh, Cassandra, I've so enjoyed this conversation with you. It has just been so expansive. And I want to thank you as well for all that you've shared here with the listeners. I know they're going to take away so much. I hope that people have been taking notes too, because there were so much gems dropped in this conversation. I would absolutely love for you to leave our listeners with one key takeaway to help them along their journey of love, life and relationships. Oh, that was a good one. I didn't think about that. Okay. (laughs) Takeaway. My key takeaway is going to be, I kind of alluded to this, I think earlier, but all of the experience that you have had in your life have brought you, you to this point, but you started your life as your authentic self. So really understanding that you already are the person that you were supposed to be and that you need to be. And it is just your continued nurturing of that self that is going to help you move through all of these, you know, a lot of these situations that we've talked about. And I think that that's important to me because I think in healing, especially we chase this next version of ourselves, we chase this healed person, or when I'm not, when I don't have this issue, this is what things are going to look like for me. So I just would encourage everybody to stop looking at yourself as a broken person and look at yourself as the beautifully wonderful whole person that you already are and always have been and look at the ways that you can add to that. That's a beautiful takeaway. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Again, I want to thank you for your time, for your energy today. I've had such a wonderful dance of a conversation with you. It's been absolutely amazing. And can I just say, I've absolutely loved looking at your blue hair and your blue top and everything blue going on just looks so magnificent <laughs> i'm going to say grateful when i'm in bed tonight i'm going to say i'm grateful for cassandra's aura and everything that she brought to this interview it's been absolutely amazing and thank you. Everyone- thank you for having me this has just been a wonderful experience i appreciate your openness and this forum that you've created for everyone to really think about these things it's so important so i'm very grateful that we were able to have this conversation today thank you so much And for everybody else who has listened to this episode today, I want to thank you for your time, your energy and for your attention. And until the next episode, take great care of yourself and others too. What an amazing conversation with Dr. Cassandra. If you would like to follow her work or connect with her, be sure to check out her social links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, make sure to check out the show notes in the description with all the important links and how to connect with and follow Teresha directly. If you are motivated and encouraged after listening to this, please follow and subscribe to this podcast. Hey, and whilst you're there, go ahead and leave a five-star rating and add a review. We would love to hear what aha moments there were for you. And you know that saying, sharing is caring. So tell your family and friends about this podcast too. So until next time, take great care of yourself and others too.